Hi everybody, it's Joey Remini from seekingbalance.com.au and today I want to introduce you to my expert guest, Dr. Holly Richmond, who is a certified sex therapist and holds a PhD in somatic psychotherapy. Is that right? Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And Holly and I have already had a chat on Reclaiming Pleasure, the book she's recently launched, which is so in alignment with Rocksteady and the concepts of befriending our body building new neural pathways of desired sensations and I think rewriting our story and reclaiming our truth on reality. So in finding a sense of acceptance with reality as it is in a way that sits in alignment rather than holding shame or other people's stories. So there's so many crossovers and today what I wanted to pick Holly's brain about was some questions that came up from my community around what if I don't have sexual sensation? What if I feel numbness or loss of sensation in my sexual and erogenous regions? Can I use the Rocksteady process to rebuild sensations? Or, you know, if I have spinal cord damage and there's absolutely no communication to my brain from parts of my sexual zones, what do I do? So that's the opening question that I would love to um, hear Holly's take on and, and we'll weave it into our Rocksteady language. And I hope this can be of use for all of my community members who are learning to rediscover their body, find their new normal and hopefully blossom into feeling sexually alive and safe in their lives. So welcome, Holly. It's just really beautiful to have you in our community. Oh, thank you, Joey. I'm so excited to be back with you. Thank you again for the invitation. Our first discussion was so incredibly rich. I've thought a lot about it. Yeah. Um, so thank you again for having me. Yeah. Well, to put it into context for many of my Rocksteady members, men and women, I think there's been months, if not years or decades of not feeling safe in the body, unwanted sensations, largely feeling dizziness, feeling vertigo, feeling tinnitus sounds, just, it's unpleasant. In essence, they want to escape from their body and live out there. So a real tendency for fight, flight, freeze, fawn, just let's leave the situation. Reality doesn't feel good. So there's not a lot of space for sexuality, really, and that can have been a really long-term chronic situation. So it makes a lot of sense that there would potentially be a disconnection sexually. Um, so I think that's where this question becomes really relevant. If I have loss of sensation around my sexuality, what do I do? I'm going to throw that over to you and just see where this conversation leads us. Mm. Okay. So uh, my mind is going a million different areas, but so the sense, the loss of sensation, just how I hear you describing it, it can be both organic or psychogenic. Is that correct? So the organic could be a traumatic brain injury, some sort of um, nerve function that's pre preventing the brain from talking to the genitals, or the psychogenic is um, from all of these unwanted sensations. In my case, I'm usually looking at trauma as psychogenic. So anxiety, depression, all of those things can disconnect us from pleasurable sensations in our body. So the first piece we have to talk about before we talk about anything else is consent. Mm -hmm. Do you have consent to, to touch your body? Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. I, I was working with a client this week who were, were working on his own pleasure protocol and he, it struck him so profoundly. He said, I thought consent was for women and I thought it was only about touching other people. And I said, oh my goodness, no, you need to have consent to touch yourself as well. Yeah. 
And some days you will have permission and consent. And some days your, your body's going to say, I'm just not up for this right now. So it's really tuning in and learning to listen. Yeah. And this is where I feel that fake it till you make it just doesn't apply. Because I think really learning to be attuned to ourselves and our own nervous system and to truly know our yes and our no and our maybe mm-hmm. and how that's so dynamic. I think that's what my rock steady community are learning. It's not like this fixed linear, okay, I've nailed this, I've got it. It's actually, no, well, how do I feel Monday morning could be different to Monday afternoon. And so this real-time conversation with our body, this responsiveness, um, I think is a real art. And I think to translate this into our erogenous zones and pleasure protocol, I think is really feels like the next logical step from our rock steady process of searching for our desired sensations. So going from calm, connected and grounded to, well, where do I perhaps notice some pleasure in my body? Is it here on my cheek? Is it on my arms? And, and asking those questions and how would you invite people to discover consent and have a process or examples of home exercises to play with consent? I think it's really mm-hmm. valuable. So where I usually go with that is just to invite a moment of quiet and calm, um, of mindfulness. It doesn't have to be meditation, but it has to be mindfulness, which I just define is um, presence and awareness without judgment, yeah. right? So that without judgment is so key do a body scan and try to identify one or two areas of your body that are open. Is there an area of your body that is open for touch? So that's where consent begins. Mm -hmm. And Joe, I loved that you talked about time of day. When I'm um, walking with people through their pleasure protocol, part of the assignment is try this in the morning, try this in the afternoon, try this in the evening. It's really amazing with people's physiology when, when their body feels more present, when it feels more alive, when it feels more erotic. And I know you and I talked about this word erotic eros the last time we chatted, but as a refresher, eroticism can be sexual, but it doesn't have to be. Its translation is life force, vitality, vivacity, co-creation. So that really just just vital, the thing that makes you feel alive, the thing that makes you want to want, that's eroticism. Yeah, and I wanna throw in the words play and imagination. Yes. For me, they feel so key to safely exploring what could be intimidating or threatening or a bit unknown. It's like, well, if I just play in this space of imagination like a two-year-old might, it starts to have a different flavor. And I, and I think, again, there's many ways to find our, our sexual aliveness and it doesn't all have to be geni- genitally focused. In fact, it's probably better that it's, it starts out here. And also with touch, I wanted to add in, I often say with my Rocksteady clients, you know, it could be feeling the breeze on your cheeks. Like I'm not even touching myself, but I'm allowing myself to receive the environment around me or the way my hair is falling around my face. There can be ways that I I become receptive. Um, And another word I love, which I think is really potent from a neuroplasticity perspective, is feeling an expansiveness, that I have space to feel, that I'm not contracted and closed and shut down and sort of, you know, I can't let anything else in. There's no input. I don't want to feel. The opposite would be this, this, I'm safe. I have spaciousness. I've got a container. I've got time. I've got permission that could be self, probably self-permission, but I've, I've got this availability. These are all really key words, I think, before we even go there. 
Absolutely, absolutely. The kind of the um, continuum that I work with is rigidity, fluidity, laxity. So what we're aiming for is that fluidity space where, and I love your word container. It's a, it's a word I use all the time too. So you're in a safe container. We should actually speak about that. So you're gonna do your body scan see what areas of your body are open and consenting to touch, but then you need to create your space. You really need to be mindful about your environment. Is it for a lot of people, it's their bedroom, but I'm, I would ask, you know, tidy it up, make it feel sensual. It doesn't have to be sexual. Again, it just needs to feel soft, warm, inviting, or even playful, or maybe it's the bath. Maybe it's the couch. And like, if you're like me and you've got little children and toddlers everywhere, it's the beach, it's nature. It's, yeah. it's like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm alive out here. And I just look up at the leaves and the clouds and it takes me there. So okay. yeah, it's really good to have this imaginative place. Um, I think, and I want to invite anyone listening. Well, let's go into, I think the, the pleasure protocol you really describe more in your book. Is that right? That's true. Yes. So in reclaiming pleasure, um, the, the protocol, the overall protocol that I walk people through is control, pleasure, connection. And Joey, our work has so much synergy. So it's, it's um, I, I just love the rock study, the words we use, the themes we cover are so similar. So the pleasure one, that middle one. So pleasure is what we're talking about today. So the self-pleasure protocols are based on Sensate Focus by Masters and Johnson. They created this in the 1960s and it really begins with non-genital touch and it's focused on these ideas of invitation, consent and pleasurable touch, pleasurable sensations that are non-genitally based. Yep. So I wanna just do a little summary here. So let's say <laughs> someone comes in and says, I feel disconnected sexually or I have permanent nerve damage, perhaps a spinal cord injury or something that's quite um, anatomical. So there's yeah. a blockage. The blockage could be physical or psychological. And what we want to just say as a summary point here is it's okay. Whether it's A or B, you can still explore new erogenous zones in your body, which means you can still explore where am I able to receive pleasure that my brain associates as kind of fun, playful, that eros, that aliveness, that vivacity. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe it used to be your, your hips and that's no longer working for you for whatever reason. And it might shift towards your lower ribs or the neck. I remember one of my girlfriends said, I have a second vagina on my neck. It just really turn, <laughs> turns me on. Yeah. We're looking for these kind of places where the body's responding in a really safe and pleasurable way. How to get there? create a safe space, find a container where you can be in ritual with yourself. Um, and I just want to add in here, it doesn't need to be for hours. It could be just one minute. It, you know, it could be two minutes. Start with what your nervous system can handle. And I actually had a client with a sexual trauma history and she had her, she'd done therapy and all that. And she emailed in saying, I'm confused how trauma fits with Rocksteady. And so I, I have a program that bridges that for people. And it's all about consent and pleasure. It's all about saying, okay, when I'm in trauma, I'm not really available for pleasure. So those pathways are very, they're kind of dormant. They're, there's less access, there's less practice, there's less firing and wiring, hard wiring in. Mm -hmm. So opening up ways to build pleasure pathways that's a desired sensation means we need to understand consent because if we're in the no zone the body's not going to let it in no. so finding finding ways to explore this consent in our safe container and getting really 
imaginative about how we do that, being fluid, if I steal your beautiful word. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think taking it day by day and acknowledging that if we haven't had much pleasure, let's say for 10 years, 30 seconds of pleasure a day might be all we can tolerate for now and we build that up to a minute and then it might move toward five minutes and so on and so forth. So keeping it really safe and allowing your nervous system to rejig and remap and rewire little by little in safe and gentle ways. Do you want to add anything? Um, I like that you talked about the timing. So when I'm prescribing this to my patients, it's 10 minutes, but that's not 10 minutes of constant touch. It's a few minutes of dropping into their bodies and breathing, and then it's noticing their surroundings. And then um, I use the forearm a lot. This is usually the place where I start with, with self-pleasure or even partner pleasure. We're starting with a forearm and you're playing with different types of touch. So you're playing with massage type touch. You're playing with tickling touch. You're playing with strokes. And then you get to say, and I love out loud because it's a very somatic way of being, right? Thoughts get stuck in our head. So when we say things out loud, they become more real. I like tickles. Oh, I don't like the firm touch today. That doesn't feel good in my nervous system. That doesn't feel good in my body. And then maybe moving to your neck or your hair. I keep everything above the waist for the first at least two weeks, but you, you can go as slow as you need to go. And I just wanna clarify, if, am I hearing you right that we're saying that aloud to ourselves? So as I'm doing this, I can say, hmm, not so much that right now. Maybe I want to be held more slowly and firmly today. That, that feels nourishing and supportive. Tickles is annoying me. And I can say that aloud to myself. Yes. Yes. It's, it's a somatic psychotherapy technique that we use a lot just because especially in trauma and anxiety, even in depression, there's ruminative thoughts that tend to feel stuck. So when we say those positive affirmations or just, it's really giving consent out loud, right? I like this. I don't like this. I it just, like it's, yeah. tr it's truth telling. Mm -hmm. And something that's been a journey for me as I've unpacked some, you know, more infant trauma, attachment trauma, is I got really good at sort of lying to myself to please other people. And this is all harmless, benign stuff. But neurologically, it's gunk. Mm -hmm. And when I get good at actually not being dismissive of my truth and saying that aloud, I'm practicing truth telling, which the Buddhists would call noble speech. Okay. Um, yeah. And so this is a really great way of consolidating this truth talking of, well, how is it really for me? Well, actually on board. Well, how is it really for me? Well, I feel ashamed I'm not better already. You know, I feel ashamed mm -hmm. I, I'm not married with three kids and I'm this age. And mm -hmm. if that's truth talking, I, I can see the value in saying that aloud and, and letting it have passage so that the next conversation can naturally evolve rather than this invisible rumination where there's no resolution. Exactly, exactly. I think part of my truth talking is integration or being in integrity. And this is not moralistic or ethical at all. Integrity are, are my mind and body are on the same page. And I go like this because that's that's integrity, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm in alignment. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not throwing myself under the bus to make someone else happy. I'm not throwing myself under the bus because this is what I think I should be able to do. Yeah. None of that. So this is where I want to say, I feel like answer number one to the question is yes, we can rebuild neural pathways of new pleasure zones, even when there's been lost or dormant pleasure for decades. So that's answer number one, FAQ with Dr. Holly Richmond. Okay. 
Number two, I want to say, okay, so for someone who feels deep shame to the point of not even wanting to contact a therapist because they feel so disconnected to their mind, body, consent, they don't know where to start, how to start, they just feel like they're failing. Failing. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tricks or tools in bringing some some compassion in, really normalising this? I mean, off the recording, you just said, oh, my God, this is so many women. This is. This is so many women. Joey, I was just saying to you, um, so, so many over the years, women have sat down with me and said, I'm pretty sure I'm asexual. I just, I never, I don't care if I ever have sex again. Mm. Um, I, of course, am holding space for people who are asexual, but that's less than 1% of the population. Mm. If you are asexual, that's fine with me. But I feel like most of these women who come to me are shut down or afraid or their body has become a scary place. So that's why we approach this so slowly and with consent and not genitally based just to see where we might find those openings. Yeah. And we've been talking in my community about the window of tolerance Mm -hmm. and these red zones of fight, flight, freeze, feeling powerless, hopelessness, helplessness. And that's when the nervous system really goes into this life-threatening problem-solving mode. Then we've got our green zones where we're sort of challenged and we're learning or growing or a bit unfamiliar, uncomfortable, but we're okay. And then the blue zones are feeling calm, alert, safe, relaxed. Um, What I'm hearing, um, and in fact, I think parts of me have been there at certain times in my life, is that sexually it triggers the red zone. So it's like when I'm in my body or even thinking about sexual experiences because it's associated with a trauma, the body almost automatically takes over and goes into that red zone so that the pleasure of course is out the window and consent language is out the window. And I think learning to bring in this safe window of tolerance with sexual conversations and with um, sensuality, with the pleasure protocol, rediscovering erogenous zones and just slowly bringing the sexual world and aliveness into that blue zone I can really visually see how it's a process. And I'm bringing that forward for some of my listeners who are really benefiting from that, um, learning about their nervous system alongside some of these um, heavier topics. Mm -hmm. So two things that I want to say, um, there really is no pleasure without consent. And to get to consent, we have to have an awareness of, of really how we're speaking to our bodies. And the next piece, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, you were speaking about trauma. This trips people up because a lot of people who have undesirable sensations or are cut off from their body feel like they should have a trauma that they can grab a hold of and say, here, here is my trauma. But so often there's not a clear memory of the trauma. The body has just shut down. So um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's more the case with me. I know something happened. I know the, the large scope of when it happened and the, the general picture of it. I don't have specific memories because my brain is protecting me from that. My brain saying, I don't want to know that, but there will be triggers for me. So I, I know I'm right, but I don't want your listeners to think, oh my gosh, I have to have a trauma. You, you don't have to have a, a trauma. You don't have to remember your trauma could be more in the complex trauma zone. So it's micro trauma after micro trauma after micro trauma, not a life-threatening event. Yeah, and I think I shared this briefly for this exact reason on our last chat. If you want to go ahead and look up the the previous talk I had with Holly, 
but it was on even as a child being force fed or my dad forcing me to kiss some of his friends goodbye. And I'm, I'm young, you know, and they're not sexual, but it's happening to my body and I'm saying no and I'm not being listened to. And it was really confusing because I want to please my dad and it's happening repeatedly. So, so many examples of it's a massive no in my body, but I'm having to have a yes forced upon me completely not sexual and my dad's a great man so unintentional it's little t trauma but lots of those over a period of time taught my brain to not listen to my body because that's what the authorities my father accidentally teaching me so this is kind of bringing the neuroscience back into well how do I get to be this age and still not know consent it can go all the way back to those little t traumas um, and so just giving people permission to think through some of their own story and their truth speaking. Um, yes, absolutely. And, and with that, Joey, I think the fawn response would be the common one, right? The people pleasing, the over-functioning. So it's, it's typically going to be fawn or freeze yes, or, or light, but I'm, I'm going to stick with what I just said. It's typically going to be fawn or freeze. And, and, and fawn, just to recap, is yeah. when we know it's a no, but we feel it's safer to say yes because we might feel danger or we do want to people please. Um, and in my case as a little girl, I wasn't fawning. I just wasn't given the choice. I had to do it. It was it was just purely forced upon me. Um, I kicked and screamed. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in my dad's defense, and this is the, the humor in it once I get through the trauma of it, is he was a deprived war immigrant completely starved and hungry for him food was love he was loving me with that food yeah right so it's trauma upon trauma upon trauma and I get that as an adult um and I can talk about it with my dad but doesn't change the neurological effect it had on me and how Mm -hmm. that did impact my sexuality so Mm -hmm. I just want to bring all of that to the table because um that's what we mean by the complex traumas and Mm -hmm. the little t's and that's how it affects our neural um mapping Mm -hmm. Um, but it's all reversible. We can repair it. And it's not funny at the time. My goodness, it's devastating when I went through this and had to meet all of these difficult feelings and memories. But I want to say now I'm through it and I've I've allowed it to be expressed in my body and I've felt my way through it. And I've had the compassion and support and the containers. On the other side of it, there's a lot more pleasure. I can talk about it frankly with my father. I can see the kind of humor in it in a sense you know the the ridiculousness of humanity mm-hmm. um, and and i think that's again that the process of going from red zone green zone to blue zone yeah. same story but my nervous system was in different parts along the way absolutely oh i i i love that so when we're writing about it or talking about it it's why therapy is so powerful it's by why reading it's why the programs like yours are so powerful because as we integrate them, they start living in the world and we don't have to hold them when our nervous system isn't so rigid and rigid and locked down around them, there's freedom. And again, there's no pleasure without consent. So we really, we have to have to have this period of processing of relinquishing control and letting go. So coming back to some of the compassion piece, do you have, what's your relationship to compassion? And do you have any little tricks, tools, mantras, statements, what, share that with us because I, I have a suspect it comes into play oh self-compassion is is huge um my language for it is letting ourselves off the hook yeah um, I mean we are just on the hook on the hook on the hook so we have to get to a place where there's acceptance but then acceptance and understanding 
because when we really understand, we almost always come back to my body was trying to keep me safe. My brain was trying to keep me safe. This was an adaptive response. Shutting down my sexuality was adaptive then. It's maladaptive now. How do I get back what is my birthright? Because sexual pleasure, any kind of pleasure is our birthright. I know you agree with me here too, but how does it become safe? Yeah, and I wanna also add in there just something that brings up my response to that is, it's also okay for those of us listening to continue shutting down from sex. That's another really okay choice too. Until you feel ready to open up, that's actually honoring your no. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, that's, and that's introducing this pleasure protocol of consent. It might be no for another week, for another month, but I think as if we keep staying with it and really holding ourselves with that integrity and saying, you know what, I'm still feeling a no, and that's okay. That's yeah. the compassion coming into the process. And I think mm-hmm. there's the one thing in life we can rely on is change. So yeah. just really staying with that no and honoring it um, with the gentleness and the loving awareness. Um, and I think mixing up environments, like going out in nature, could shift it if being in the bedroom is triggering. So just, mm-hmm. and also getting support, finding sex positive therapists who you really trust. And like we said in our last chat, that you feel your nervous system is in that blue zone with. Right. So that you've got that sense of um, connection. That brings us actually, Holly, to I think what you were saying is another piece in the puzzle, which is connection. It's really hard to heal alone. And that's why we, I think you and I both can share our stories. We can be mm-hmm. real because it's so important to hear and share and connect and being in relationship um, in some way. Do you want to speak a little bit more on how that's part of our healing journey? Mm-hmm. It really, just to reiterate, it's it's nearly impossible to, to heal in solitude. That's just not how our nervous systems are designed. Mm-hmm. So when I'm asking for my clients for connection, this is not connection to a romantic partner. This doesn't have to be connection to family, um, but there is some community. So there is our friends, there's spiritual community, there's the community in which you live, maybe there's an online community for people who are less mobile, but there needs to be some outlet where you can show up in integrity, where your mind and body are on the same page in in authenticity and really share your truth of where you are in a non-judgmental space. And that's gonna be different for all of us. For some people, it'll be the animal shelter and taking walks with, with dogs. I will even, I'll take that. But at some point I would love another human being on the other end to really hold you compassionately. It's bringing, it's reminded me of what Brene Brown speaks on the research of shame, that shame just can't, shame thrives in silence. But when it's said aloud and heard, something shifts, something shifts in our brain. Mm -hmm. Once somebody else can be in that non-judgmental loving witness of saying, "I, I hear you. And it reminds me actually of being a mother with little babies or toddlers and they're doing their thing, they're tantruming or they're, you know, the sippy cup's the wrong colour. <laughs> um, and as that adult, we're holding them, they're saying, yes, I can see this is a really big deal for you. It's not a big deal for me and we're okay. So my nervous system is, is really stable and blue zone and holding them while their nervous system is red zone. Right. And I'm helping them come back to that blue zone, not by distracting them, not by changing the color of the sippy cup, but really just being present with their red zone 
and I'm not sucked into it. I'm, I'm staying back in my blue zone. And I think that's probably what you're referring to. It's about having that um, securely attached adult or secu securely attached other who's mm -hmm. available, spacious, expansive, and able to be with the bigness of what we're feeling. Absolutely. And they're, and they're okay. So suddenly we go, oh, I'm okay. It's not the drama. And part of a really central part of Rocksteady, actually, we say is NBD, no big deal. Mm. And I've also added onto that not being dismissive. So seeing it as it is, not being dismissive, but not making a drama about it. I love that. I'm going to I'm gonna have to steal that sometimes <laughs> if that's okay. Yeah. Um, some other language, it's just, it's so beautiful. Um, so from Peter Levine, who is a renowned trauma therapist, he talks about the empathetic witness. Mm -hmm. So so he says, trauma isn't what happens to us. It what happen, it's what happens in the absence of an empathetic witness. Yeah. So as a therapist, as a practitioner, I am an empathetic witness. And when people come to me and say, I'm broken, you know, <clears throat> my vulva doesn't work. I don't ever want to have sex again. I don't care about sex. What they're looking for subconsciously is judgment, right? What they're looking for is the drama. And if we just sit in that empathetic witness and say, I am so sorry, I see you. Do you want to say more? I'm here. I'm ready to hear it. Yeah. And um, I, another question I've been really enjoying exploring, and I, and I share this because we can also be this for ourselves if, if we don't have, we're not in a situation to have a therapist or a friend at this point. I always say, put it on your wish list, you know, tell the universe you want to find one of these empathetic soul searching kind of friends or community members but we can do this with ourselves and a really nice question is how are you feeling in this moment you know as you share this or as you go through this or really just allowing that space to to be with the feeling of it and how can I support you in this moment and asking that to ourselves um I find can be really powerful as we're exploring consent especially because it's mm -hmm. in responsiveness it's it's in real time it's not necessarily in the therapist office right right oh that's so beautifully said and I just want to um say clearly for the listeners too in your sharing you never have to share any details so this is not a sharing of what happened to you um you don't have to share your symptoms you don't have to share any details you just have to share your pain your experiences your bodily feelings your emotions whatever's coming up but there's no nothing that says you have to share the details right because survivors are like well i have to say what happened so that whoever i'm sharing it will will think it's bad enough oh believe me yeah it was bad enough it was bad enough. Yeah, you don't need to re-traumatize yourself by going through that story again and again. And, you know, um, it's kind of interesting because in my community, the the, tra the traumatic story and the traumatic event is often the illness, so the diagnosis of the vestibular condition or the tinnitus condition. And it's been a very difficult position and decision for me to say there is no discussion about that in our group, right? Mm -hmm. um, because, A, it traumatizes people when they read it. Yeah. And, B, it's re-traumatizing to share it, but there's also this obsessive, addictive quality of really wanting to share the full story and how bad it is and how it's ruined my life and blaming my symptoms. And in our group, it's a neuroplasticity study group, and we strictly talk about how we're meeting challenges, what tools we're using, talking about what neural pathways we're building. So it's really focused on how we're using our agency 
and our power, which is our blue and green zone. Because when we're in the red zone, we're sharing about the trauma and it's it's dramatic. Right. But when we're in the green and blue zone, we're able to say, well, I had a really difficult day actually. And I used this tool and I used that tool and I got through it and I was really proud of myself. And seeing post after post after post, of this is what I did, this is how I felt. It's really empowering. So I, I kind of feel bad for the folks that just want to talk about the drama and feed the drama. And they're like, Joey, why don't, you know, why'd you delete my post? It's not me actually, oh. it's my team, but yeah. um, it's really powerful. And it's amazing how healing it is for people to read about those green and blue zones, mm -hmm. the absence of the red zones, which there's lots of other groups out on the internet where you can openly share the drama and the trauma and it's super welcome. And I think there's a space for that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's power in letting go of the story. I do too. Um, I'm sorry, I, I was a little bit stuck on, I, I know people need to share. Trust me, I know people need to share. I, I get really two kinds of clients that come, the kind that sit down in five minutes after in our first session, the story just floods out of them. And that can be really reparative but I'm an empathetic witness and I have training on how to hold that space. I have, I have heard awful stories where people share their trauma and there's no one there to hold it and it just snowballs. Um, so it makes me nervous. And, and I know people can use the internet however they need to use the internet, but I'm really, again, just an offer to find a safe place, that empathetic person, that community that can, can really hold you. Yeah. And, and it, most likely isn't a group space yeah group but you know there's there's yeah. different places and um i think it's important to really truly trust our nervous system and drop in when we're speaking from the place of calm and alert and clarity the story comes out i think in a really humanitarian way because we've got that bigger picture and it's not necessarily so about me it's more about well i know this is a collective story I'm part of a collective trauma and I'm part of a broken society and a broken system. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really reparative. So there's different ways of telling story. And again, I think this consent business of exploring my body, how is it feeling for me today in this moment? Is it a yes? Is it a no? And I, and I would, I would hesitate to say if it's a, maybe it's probably a no, because if it's a mm -hmm. yes, it's clear and it's a yes, mm -hmm. it's not a yes. It's a no. Mm -hmm. You agree with that? Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, so if in that moment you do your body scan, you say it's a no, my offer would then to be move around your house, move in nature, move around the world and find moments of openness, find moments of pleasure. So is it walking by a flower? Is it playing with a puppy? Is it drinking a delicious smoothie or cup of tea? These are going to be your openings. So when you come back to your body later that day or the next day or two weeks later, maybe that openness will be there. Mm, yeah. And again, really just taking your time would be, um, I think, a really key take-home message. I highly recommend Holly's book, uh, Reclaiming Pleasure, and that really describes beautifully the journey of truth-speaking, the pleasure protocol, um, and, and has a list of resources as well, including this, this idea of finding a sex-positive therapist, somebody who will anchor you in the concepts of consent and pleasure. Um, and yeah, I really welcome this conversation more and more in my Rock City community. I think it's, it's a really healthy part of being human. If we come back to eros and eroticism, that it, it's about our aliveness. I think a lot of us come to this journey feeling numb, feeling dead, feeling a bit flat. 
Mm-hmm. And it's about slowly thawing, slowly waking up, slowly coming back to our centre. And it's so healthy. It's not a separate conversation over there. It, it really, it's such a part of the whole. Mm-hmm. And, and what I love, uh, the synergy between our communities, um, the sy- symptoms are always present. And the people I see too, there's almost always physiological symptoms. Mm-hmm. So those are cues. You work with them more um, more directly than I do sometimes. Um, you know, we, we've got symptoms, but really listening to those symptoms, finding the possibilities for change and growth, like you were expressing before, like what worked for me today. And it might not work a hundred percent. It might've only been like a 30% better, but just that, that, that the possibilities are there for us to feel differently in our bodies. That's just, um, I love that. I love whatever ways that we can collaborate, collaborate with to, to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Do you have any um, closing words of encouragement or anything you want to share with our listeners as we sign off? Mm, I think for sure you are not broken, whether you experienced a trauma in your childhood or whether the trauma feels like your chronic pain or symptoms now. Mm. Listening to our body, honoring consent, honoring pleasurable touch is really the first step to feeling more alive in that sense of eroticism. Mm. And you know what I love about this, everybody, is the simplicity of bringing it back to consent. It's not like this really complicated (laughs) therapy. It's, you know, um, allow the sensation in and just notice if it's a yes or a no, practice saying it aloud. And this is something we could do like literally while waiting in the supermarket line, no one would even notice we're doing it, but we can just keep this um, consensual conversation going with ourselves. And I, I can just see it becoming a really cheeky way of life. Oh, it, it would be perfect. Yeah. Even just playing with your hair or stroking mm-hmm. your wrist and, and, or just doing the body scan um, next steps down the road. I'm just going to throw that out there doing Kegels while um, waiting in the grocery store line. Right. Yeah. Anything at all anything to our body yeah and I know for all the mothers out there when I'm snuggling my babies or breastfeeding you know I consciously pause and I just I let myself connect to that oxytocin and that that beautiful bond the bonding hormones and the pleasure sensations um wherever and however the opportunity arises because we are we are so busy you know yeah yeah and we can do that with ourselves too I think we rebond to ourselves through through moving through pleasure and and obviously with consent first. Yeah, thank you so much. I think this conversation can just really go in so many more beautiful directions. And I encourage my Rocksteady listeners, if you have more questions, email me, get in touch with Holly. It's Mm drhollyrichmond.com. I'll have a link at the bottom of this podcast and YouTube clip. Um, Thanks again, Holly. This was so wonderful. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, it's a true pleasure. So I'm Joey Remini from seekingbalance.com.au. You can visit my website if you'd like to learn more about the Rocksteady community. And drhollyrichmond.com is where you'll find Holly's community. So thank you so much. Thank you.